Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, a rich mix of the week's stories served up to you every Monday. I'm Josie Delap, and on your menu today, is London the dirty money capital of the world? The wine industry squares up to the weed entrepreneurs in California, and the evolution of the American dream. Let's start with our cover. Just last year, economic growth was accelerating almost everywhere. But 2018 has been a very different story. In America, President Donald Trump's tax cuts have helped lift annualised quarterly growth above 4%. Unemployment is at its lowest since 1969. Yet the IMF thinks growth will slow this year in every other big advanced economy, and emerging markets are in trouble. Such uneven growth means wildly different monetary policy between countries. The Federal Reserve has raised interest rates eight times since December 2015. The European Central Bank is still a long way from its first increase. In Japan, rates are negative. China, the principal target of Mr Trump's trade war, relaxed monetary policy this week in response to a weakening economy. When interest rates rise in America but nowhere else, the dollar strengthens. That makes it harder for emerging markets to repay their dollar debts – This week, financial markets fell around the world as investors worried about slowing growth and rising American interest rates. Though the last recession is still a painfully recent memory, we argued that it's time to start preparing. The world is not ready to deal with the next one. In the past half century, the Fed has typically cut interest rates by five or so percentage points in a downturn. Today, it has less than half that room before it reaches zero – The Eurozone and Japan have no room at all. Central banks will enter the next recession with balance sheets that are already swollen by historical standards. The Fed's is worth 20% of GDP. The constraints are particularly tight in the Eurozone, where the ECB is limited to buying 33% of any country's public debt. And there are political obstacles too. Unprecedented cross-border cooperation was needed to fend off the crisis in 2008, But the rise of populists will complicate the task of working together. The Fed's swap lines with other central banks, which let them borrow dollars from America, might be a flashpoint, and falling currencies may feed trade tensions. There's work to be done, but few seem willing to do it. Preemptive action calls for initiative from politicians, which is conspicuously absent. This week's market volatility suggests time could be short. The world should start preparing now for the next recession while it still can. You can read our special report on the world economy in this week's edition of The Economist. And if you're not yet a subscriber, go to economist.com forward slash radio offer for 12 issues for $12 or £12. Next, our business affairs correspondent Matthew Valencia has been poking around the dark corners of the shadow economy. 
In our Money Talks podcast, he told Helen Joyce why London needs to clean up its act. Matthew, how big a dirty money problem does London have? Well, the short answer is nobody knows exactly because by definition it's very difficult to uh, pin down exactly how much dirty money, financial sludge is flowing through the city. But the National Crime Agency, which is leading the fight against dirty money, estimates that it's somewhere in the region of in the many hundreds of billions of pounds. The agency also has an overall estimate for global money laundering, which is something like two or three times that. So it seems that what they're suggesting is that um, what flows through London could be something like a third or a half of the global total. So it's a big problem. On Babbage, our science and tech show, talk turned to a different kind of clean economy. Costa Rica aims to become the first country in the world to go carbon neutral. Monica Araya is one of the key advisors on the country's pioneering decarbonisation plan. Costa Rica already has decarbonised the power sector. And the country has also stopped deforestation, which is not the case for the rest of the world. So we have done at least half of the the task. So what we need to do now is to decarbonize the transportation sector, which is is part of a bigger puzzle out there because we need to stop using so much gasoline and diesel for our cars and buses and, and taxis and you name it. So basically what we have in front of us is the opportunity to electrify the collective means of transportation because it's something people use every day. And in the latest episode of The Week Ahead, our current affairs podcast, we heard an extraordinary story. Jonathan Lebecki was a sergeant in the US Army during the Second Gulf War. Since he returned home, he has suffered from severe post-traumatic stress disorder. Very few cases of PTSD respond to conventional medication – So in desperation, Jonathan took part in a trial of an experimental new treatment using MDMA, better known as ecstasy. It was probably the greatest therapeutic experience I have ever had in my entire life. What are you experiencing? It disconnects the amygdala, that fear response in the brain, that fight or flight. And you can talk about the trauma without having a panic attack. The MDMA puts the brain in, in a place where the therapy can work. And... People always ask, describe it, describe it. The best description I've come up with is it's like doing therapy while being hugged by everyone who loves you in a bathtub full of puppies licking your face. You can hear Jonathan's story in full on the Week Ahead podcast from Economist Radio or watch it on YouTube in a short film by Economist Films. Liberalising drug laws can have unexpected consequences. The US section of the paper this week reported from California, which legalised the recreational use of marijuana in January. The state accounts for the majority of American wine production as well, however, and winemakers are far from relaxed. Winemakers are fretting that recreational marijuana use, which became legal in the state in January, could challenge their dominance of what is delightfully known as people's intoxication budgets. They also complain that they can no longer afford seasonal labour to harvest their grapes because workers have better paid year-round jobs on cannabis farms. As it turns out, drugs and booze do not go well together. According to Rabobank, a Dutch firm that specialises in financing agriculture, marijuana and alcohol are to some extent substitutes. Legalisation, a recent report from the bank argues will encourage more women, baby boomers and high earners, all stalwarts of the wine business, to smoke weed instead. 
In other states, the legalization of medical marijuana has been associated with a roughly 15% fall in alcohol consumption. But some are arguing that if you can't beat them, join them. Rebel Coast Winery in Los Angeles County has produced a marijuana-infused Sauvignon Blanc. Andrew Jefford, a British wine writer, thinks drinking, not smoking, is the future of weed. Perhaps booze and drugs do belong together, after all. Meanwhile, for this week's business section, I had the pleasure of writing about my own favourite poison, coffee. In 1934, in the Italian city of Trieste, Francesco Ely came up with a way to package coffee in pressurised containers that kept it fresh. In 1974, Ely, the company he founded, became the first to sell a kind of coffee pod, single servings of ground, tamped beans that produced espresso anywhere, anytime. Today, the industry is full of beans, but most retail coffee on the market filters down through the two giants of Java. Today, JAB and Nestle together control about a third of the market for fresh and instant coffee, which Euromonitor International, a research firm, estimates to be worth $83 billion a year. Still, a late move into e-commerce could yet change the blend. Amazon is the great unknown. Sales of hot drinks have been slow to take off online. As Capsule's popularity grows, that may change, says Matthew Barry of Euromonitor. Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods, a trendy grocer in 2017, brought with it Allegro, another fancy coffee brand. A bigger battle may be brewing. And finally, now you've got your coffee in hand, how about a good book? Reviewed in this week's paper, Sarah Churchwell, a professor of American literature at the University of London, has unravelled the tangled history of two contested phrases, the American dream and America first. The American dream nowadays tends to evoke individuals' pursuit of riches, Ms Churchwell argues. But it started out in the progressive era, meaning almost the opposite. In the 1930s, against the background of the Depression, its use exploded as it came to describe what one of its champions, the historian James Truslow Adams, called that belief in the right and possibility of a better life for all, regardless of class or circumstance. America First has likewise been adapted, adopted and co-opted down the years. President Woodrow Wilson tried to wield it with subtlety, explaining that America needed to think of itself first, but to be ready to be Europe's friend once the First World War was over. Others were cruder, urging protectionism, isolationism or worse. The Ku Klux Klan used it to boost white supremacism. And what does America dream now? Ms. Churchwell laments that it has become fossilised and flat. Americans once dreamed more expansively, she says, invoking ideas of social democracy and social justice. For all her evident abhorrence of Mr. Trump, she may agree with him on one thing. Reviving the dream might help make America great again. For in this sleep, what dreams may come? That's the end of this week's episode of Tasting Menu. And if that's just enough to whet your appetite, there's more on these and all our other stories online at economist.com or from Economist Radio on your podcast app. And while you're with us, give us a rating. It helps us to keep doing what we do and to do it even better. I'm Josie Delap, and in London, this is The Economist. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.